This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 651. We've got a great show today. We've got Dr. Kishar Kankari. We're welcoming him back and uh, we're going to spend the day talking about computational fluid dynamics, uh, a topic we haven't really hit very hard. So I think I'm looking forward to that. We're going to talk about it and compare how we use it to help with indoor environmental quality issues. So before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA.org, the Restoration Industry Association, restorationindustry.org. The Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, iicrc.org. Healthy Buildings America 2021, hb2021-america.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, aemlinc.com. Particles Plus, particlesplus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, graywolfsensing.com. TSI Inc., TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, April, A-I-R-E.com. Healthy Indoors Magazine, healthyindoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. I'm happy to report that John LaPotere was first to identify January 7th 2022nd as the holiday of Orthodox Christmas. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, January 14, 2022, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in the precision instrumentation for the monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at tsi.com. Here's today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Name the scientific sub-discipline that studies the motion of air. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. We've got today Dr. Kishore Kankari. He is the founder of AirSight LLC, and he is a specialist in computational fluid dynamics with a PhD in the topic from the University of Minnesota. He's also an ASHRAE fellow and distinguished lecturer and currently serves on the ASHRAE board of directors. Welcome back, Dr. Kankari. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Thanks for having me. First of all, I should thank all of you, uh, Joe, Cliff, and John, for doing this for such a long time. And I understand this is a 651 Mm -hmm. show. It's a lot of efforts you put it in. And this is good for our industry, good for indoor air quality. 
and you have all our support for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. Hey, by the way, I want to mention, I, I forgot to mention that um, Healthy Buildings America starts Tuesday next week, folks. So uh, it's, you're not too late and it's all virtual. You can jump online and check it out. So if you get a chance, check it out. Anyway, let's get into this whole computational fluid dynamics. It sounds it sounds exotic, you know, and I guess it is a little bit exotic. Can you explain to listeners, you know, what is CFD and how does it work? Yeah, good. Thanks for asking me that. And uh, it is exotic for some reason. Uh, some people think CFD stands for colorful dynamics, and sometimes they spell fool as a fool, F-O-O-L, <laughs> because <laughs> those pictures can fool you. Uh, well, it's not really that colorful dynamic. It's a computational fluid dynamics. It is a science. And what that science does is it simulates processes like fluid flow, flow of water, flow of air, flow of slurry or water that fits the definition of fluid and fluid mechanics. It simulates heat transfer, mass transfer, moisture migration, um, chemical reactions, and so forth. So this is a science based on the laws of physics. So it's, it's not a statistical model. Like people collect the data and they fit the curve on that data. So that curve fitting and that equation is as good as it relates to that data. Uh, if somebody collects data for Detroit, and comes up with some conclusion, like in statistical model, well, it can talk about the people around and in Detroit, but if you take it to New Delhi or London or somewhere, that may not be valid. That's not true with CFD. CFD is based on the physics of air motion, in our case, in, in HVAC industry, physics of heat transfer, physics of, physics of mass transfer, and so those laws are universal. So if we find something that's happening in the Detroit building, it may be just true in London and New Delhi and anywhere else in the world. So far, you don't build the buildings on the moon or Mars. So <laughs> then we will talk about those laws some, sometime later. But so far, we are on the Earth. Uh, those laws work. And what are those laws? Those are like, we all learned in our engineering probably the conservation of mass, conservation of momentum, conservation of energy. Those are the basic laws. What happened is from centuries, people have developed what they call the differential equations. They describe the air motion, transport of heat, transport of particles, transport of gases. And they are very good, solid basis for that. The problem with those equations is you cannot just solve like algebraic equation and come up with a formula that you can stick on your, computer, on your calculator and say, well, if I'm sitting here, how am I going to feel? Am I going to feel too hot or too cold? Or what am I breathing here? What's the indoor air quality? I can't do that. Those equations we cannot solve by what we call analytical methods. Uh, so what happens is they went back to the drawing board and said, well, how did we come up with those equations? And then they take that 
and basically divide suppose it is in your room jo we want to know how air is moving we will divide your room on the computer into small pieces and then solve that each equation iteratively it's like churning the thing you know uh, uh, and and come up with the solution which is a three dimensional solution so what shape the uh, gives you is not just the value at one point but the entire room in three dimensions uh, at millions and millions of points how the temperature looks like how the velocity looks like air speed how the concentration of uh, particles or gases look like and that gives us the insight into what is going on in, in the room so and, i hope i explained it <laughs> the well, science I, think of, it's, yeah. i think it's going to help to put some graphics up and show folks a little bit more like you know you, you've used cfd to help improve indoor environmental quality can you give us some a little case study maybe yeah i i will but before that i want to explain uh that why we need this i mean for example Good. um see air is the main carrier of heat moisture contaminants in our business correct those we are involved in hvac business air is our primary fluid primary carrier of heat and air determines how we feel air speed uh, temperature around us uh, the contaminants in the air they determine our indoor air quality the problem is we cannot see how air moves i mean mm. nobody can put the goggles on and say oh now i know i i see the how the air is going those goggles are not there <laughs> those vision uh, to see the air movement are not there and even if somebody invents that to how to see the air motion it is too late if your building is already built you are living there what if you feel too cold every day there what are you going to do if you can see that before you build the building while your design is on the paper that will make a lot of sense because then you will see where the problem is why people are feeling cold in this building why there is a hot spot here or why there is not enough good air in this part if we can find out and do the cause and effect analysis and put our uh, uh, microscope on that room on that space we will be able to uh, refine our design and make it better it's a proper due diligence and that's why we need tools like computational fluid dynamics to help our design uh, go in right direction okay so let me share my screen and i will show okay. you some examples here and uh i think you I also when, when we talked earlier you you kind of used the analogy of a um, glass of water Yeah. If the glass of water is dirty or like sometimes I get some brown water here because of iron in our local water and you know it's got to be filtered out. You can see that. So what you're trying to do is help us visualize what's going on in the air. Exactly. And and that's the purpose of this three-dimensional computation of fluid dynamic simulation. I want to emphasize one more time. This is a science. 
this is based on the physics of the air motion this is not something a artistic rendering of the arrows how air will go it is not my intuition it is the physics of the space telling me so i'm going to walk you through several examples here very quickly so uh, our, before you do let me ask yeah. one more question kishore yeah. why was this initially developed oh that that's a great question um it was developed from aerospace industry to start with remember when when you put uh, people 30000 feet in the air you cannot take the risk of oops i forgot to convert the unit on my i got calculation. you you can't so to give, to um, advance the science of aerospace that's where its origin is uh, and Uh, about 6 7 8 decades ago people started doing this uh, at that time the computers were not as powerful as they are today and the science was not very well developed but these professors and scientists they worked hard to use the science to understand the lift and drag on airplanes correct on the airplane wings uh, and and so forth and over the years what happened the computational power on the computers has increased tremendously you can do these simulations on your laptop today it's it's that that's the case at the same time the science of this numerical science of computations has advanced a lot uh, and and there are commercial software they can be used to do this thing so now cfd is not just limited in the hands of professors or very few experts or not just in the universities this has been used almost for everyday application just to give you an example you know this dyson vacuum cleaner which is one of the uh, probably the best vacuum cleaners i advertise this person in england developed this vacuum cleaner using computational dynamics so the whole concept he put it on the paper and created a cfd simulation out of it and then he kind of optimized each and every aspect of this and made sure that it works on the computer very well before he built his first prototype so <laughs> every in car, automobile industry in car all the car companies are using this uh, how many miles you get uh, per gallon you know that is related to the drag on your car and so previously couple decades ago they used to make this mock uh, model and take it to the wind tunnel to determine the lift and drag on the car and then they will come back and that they will smooth the front windshield part or the side mirrors and go back and put it in uh, wind tunnel again now there is a virtual wind tunnel they use computational fluid dynamics just to optimize the aerodynamic shape of the car to and they can actually know what miles per gallon it will be you know mm-hmm. you get a hiss on the car the wind noise uh, they can hear that we know it just from simulation not from actual car and then they can 
buff the shape of the side view mirrors and minimize that noise. Uh, the car inside environment, you know, nowadays cars are very sophisticated. You, you need all the uh, best indoor air quality and comfort in the car. This is all done on the on the computer to to optimize the thing. Uh, you know, I didn't think of that. Sound is like a fluid as well, I guess, huh? Yeah, I mean, the wind noise is created by the fluctuations of air on the surface. And that turbulence creates that vibration that creates the noise. So okay. if you can simulate the, the airflow around the car, around the side view mirrors accurately, you can convert that pressure fluctuation into the noise, into the sound, and you can hear it, <laughs> putting the earphone on, on the simulation. Um, the, the critical thing, like people, uh, the heart valves, correct? You can't experiment uh, or the uh, any medical device. It has to be done uh, using simulations to develop that. Uh, the best example is the failure of nuclear reactor. How are you going to experiment it? Are you going to kind of fail the nuclear reactor? It's too dangerous to do that. Simulations help us to understand that. I will give you a simple example where we need CMP. Uh, we all design ATM for smoke exhaust, correct? And we want to make sure when there is a fire in the ATM, the smoke exhaust system will work properly. Now, what's the commissioning on this one? We move with the small smoke bombs, you know, this fire matching bomb. And right. oh, okay, smoke exhaust. <laughs> That's not enough. I mean, when the fire occurs, either one of the sofa or furniture, something catches the fire and there is a huge source of fuel there and that whole plume is going to rise. So we don't take the junkyard sofa and put it on the fire in the ATM just to make sure my smoke exhaust works. We don't do that. In such cases, the only way we can test it is through simulation. So... Um, okay, let me go back to the some examples here I have. And uh, so this is the tale of two office spaces. And this is published in National Journal. These are two identical office spaces. There are six people sitting here, separated by a cubicle wall, correct? Uh, and there is one person who is infected, uh, let's say with flu or COVID or whatever. And in one case, you have one four-way diffuser where the air comes into. And then this uh, red square is where the air goes out from the space. Simple thing, correct? In another example, it's the same office space, but instead of bringing air just from one uh, diffuser, I divide it among the two diffusers here, two uh, blue squares. I'm not increasing the amount of air. I'm just distributing it in two places. And instead of taking it out just from one uh, red square, the written, I created one more grill here, two grills, two supply. And you will see it makes a tremendous difference. These lines show how the air is moving into the space. In one case, air goes, moves all the way to the other end and then moves and circulates. Here, the air comes from two diffusers 
and they create their own tiny recirculation patterns here. I call it aerodynamic containment, and I will explain it to you why. So, what aerodynamic? Say aerodynamic what? Aerodynamic containment, and I will explain it to you why okay. I call that arrangement as aerodynamic. Now, this animation is self-explanatory. What is happening? This guy is coughing, sneezing in this cubicle. And when you have only one supply and one place to take the air out, all the germs go into other cubicles, infect other people, and get out of the room. If I create the path of least resistance for those germs to leave the space, instead of staying there for a long time and circulating, you can see those germs, they come out and they go, hey, here is my exit. Like if you're driving on highway, your exit comes. You don't go 10 miles further and take U-turn and come back. You take the path of least resistance. You take the first exit. Germs are doing the same thing. They are finding, hey, here is my exit. I don't need to go to another cubicle. I can get out from here. Okay. Hmm. Now, this is computational fluid dynamic simulation. What it is telling me, two grills, two supply diffusers are better than one. And two return grills are better than one. That's what it is giving you the direction. It is not exactly when people will sit oh, exactly the germs will follow that path. There is a possibility that second arrangement, this arrangement is better than the first one. So if you take this and color it by the, what is the probability that people will get infected in this space, okay? So this is the kind of cut plane at your nose level. This is another thing to understand. What happens at your breathing zone? I call it breathing zone. It is about four to six feet height from the finish floor. That is important. What happens near the floor and what happens near the ceiling is not as important as what, what you breathe in and what you breathe out. So if I look at the breathing plane, of the people at about four feet height from the floor, what it tells me, I have very high probability of infection with this kind of ventilation arrangement. More people will get infected even if they are six feet apart. See, we are talking so much about this social distancing. Social distancing is as good as your airflow around you. If you have a bad airflow, bad airflow pattern, as in this case, six feet distance doesn't work. You will still get the germs and there is a high probability of getting infection. Just put two supply here, divide that air at two places and bring it down and take it out from two places. What you are doing Instead of supplying the air at one place and let it move, you're supplying at two places for the people. And so this green color turns to blue, means I reduce the probability of infection substantially, simply supplying the flow of air over the people. Let me explain it to you further. Think about this cloud you are seeing. This cloud is where 
the infection probability is 10% or higher. Those who are under this cloud, there is a 10% chance or more to get infected. And how much is that cloud? It is occupying almost 50% of the entire room. It's pretty high. All the people, all those six guys are all immersed in that cloud of high probability infection. If I improve my ventilation here, bring air in a distributed fashion and take it out in a distributed way, I reduce that cloud size to 36% from 50%. I'm not doing anything else. I'm not increasing airflow. I'm not using any air cleaner. I'm not using any UVC. Just I'm using the good clean air to dilute and mitigate the uh, probability of infection of the contaminants here. That's interesting. Now, you could also, if you wanted to, take that room divider out and look at it again and see with and without the room divider how how again those germs or virus would spread and yes that that is another good point with the simulations we can move the people around we can make another person infected i can increase or decrease the height of partition i can take the partition out i can make this room as a classroom and study the same thing Without having a physical facility to do these experiments, I can use physics to understand this, to gain the insight, to learn the lessons from here. And by the way, uh, my conclusion from this study is uh, those barriers are not doing anything here. They are kind of not too high barrier here. So there are studies people are showing, people are putting those plexi glasses in front of the students yes they are in fact creating more turbulence in the room than helping it remember the the spread of covid for example it's prominently by the airborne pathogens which ride the air the droplets it can it can catch the droplets somebody sneezes or coughs and if they eject the large droplet the plexiglass can catch them. But if they are airborne and moving with the air, <laughs> glass is not going to hold it. Right? It's going to go anywhere, the air flow. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now, there's a question here. I'm not sure if you're able to see that, but no. um, CFD has been an important part of COVID response and helping us understand exposure in relation to different ventilation scenarios. A missing component has been data has been the lack of attention to epidemiology, which could be used to see the actual transmission between COVID occupants under different setups. Um, is anyone working on this? Yeah, I mean, several people are working on this, and this is a very good comment because this should be a multidisciplinary approach. CFD specialists, HVAC experts, epidemiologists doctors all should work together because what I'm doing here, I'm looking only at the airflow, correct? How air is moving. And if there is a small germ particle 
as a result of this airflow patterns where the germs will go. But I need epidemiologists to tell me if the load, viral load is this much, and if my that much load comes to me, what is the probability of my, me getting infected because of that? And then we need a doctor to tell me that if these things are inhaled by us, then what is the probability of getting sick out of this? Whether it will just stay in my throat or in my nose or whether it will go in lungs and how long it will take me to get sick or get cured from this thing. So people are doing these studies and because of the pandemic, this awareness has gone up. What I'm concerned about is people are still not understanding that the room is not a well-mixed room. So many years, the HVAC engineers think room is like a coffee cup and I put a creamer in my coffee and stir it, I get a nice one homogeneous fluid. If you put a germ in a room, it doesn't get instantly mixed like your creamer in a coffee cup. It moves. There is a high concentration and low concentration. And we need to understand that what makes it high concentration and what causes low concentration. What I need to do to reduce that concentration level, not in the entire room, but at my breathing zone. Because I breathe out and breathe in at four to six feet height air volume. So people stick the sensor in their return duct or exhaust duct and they say, oh, I have very good indoor air quality in this room. And I question them, how do you know? How do you know? Your sensor is in the exhaust duct, not at four to six feet height from here. What we need to monitor and understand and appreciate that airflow movement, airflow patterns play a very important role in our indoor air quality. And we should be monitoring at the breathing zone, not near the ceiling, not in the exhaust, not near the floor. We are not evaluating the vacuum cleaner. We are, right. we are trying to understand what am I breathing in. Cliff, do you have a follow-up? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, Kishore, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Have, why can't you use either theatrical smoke or, you know, water vapor droplets produced by, you know, ultrasonics, yeah. uh, you know, to help assist being able to see these air patterns? Very, very good question. And people are still using it. They were using it for many decades. The thing is, you need to have a room, cliff, to inject the smoke. I mean, you need to go to either an office space or a classroom or somewhere, and everywhere you go, you need that smoke, theatrical smoke or water, vapor, water you are talking. We need to go and do it. And if you do that, how many times you will do it? Where, how much you can see through it? And is that enough for me to know what is the probability of infection? Two things here. Number one, you need to have that building already built and occupied and commissioned. Yeah. In and, CFD, 
in CFD, I can do this. Even if your design is on the paper and I can catch anything that is not right or going wrong at even conceptual stage of the design. That's the power of it. The second problem with the smoke visualization or any other tracer gas is it is as good as where you look at and where you measure it, where you put the sensors, how many sensors you are going to put in a breathing zone, for example, to get the complete understanding and picture of what is happening. As I showed you that cloud, that cloud is 50% of the room is not good. It's their indoor quality is bad. I'm telling you visually, I can't draw that pictures by just measuring at four points in a room. And you, you also can't leave the people in the room. I, but So my question being, how much do the people being in the room affect the fluid flows through the room? Excellent question again. Thanks for asking that. People do two things. One is they are simply the obstruction to airflow. When the air comes to me, it, it bumps on me, it goes around me, and it changes the airflow pattern into the space. Correct? That's number one. Number two, which is very important and not obvious, is we all generate heat. We are the sources of sensible and latent heat to certain yeah. extent. You know, hot air always goes up. As the air gets hot, it goes up. This is common sense, but it's not so common, even among the engineers, to, to mm -hmm. know that hot air goes up. So if you have more and more people, it means you're putting more and more heat into the space. Now what happens is if you supply the air at 55 degrees, by the time it comes to you, it is 65 or 70 degrees. And then when it comes to me or you, it picks up the heat. It gets hot and it goes up. So it can modify the airflow patterns into the space depending on what type of people, what they are doing, whether they are running on the in the gym or they're sitting and relaxed and watching movie, how much heat they generate depends on their metabolic activity. So definitely presence of people can affect your airflow pattern and simulation itself and the performance of ventilation system. All right, we're going to go to our halftime here, Dr. Kankari, and, and thank our sponsors. We'll be back, and in the second half, we're, we're going to take another example and look at um, thermal comfort and how CFD is used to predict thermal comfort. We'll be right sure. back. Yeah. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, CIRI Science. 
iaqa.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association, iaqa.org. The Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry, restorationindustry.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry, iicrc.org. Healthy Buildings America, Honolulu, Hawaii, January 18 through 20, 2022. HB2021-america.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. Free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee, AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus, feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us, ParticlesPlus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, over 20 years manufacturing accurate, reliable IAQ instrumentation for portable, short-term, and continuous monitoring, GrayWolfSensing.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations, TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home, April, A-I-R-E, And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, healthyindoors.com. All right, we're back. We're talking with Dr. Kishore Kankari about uh, computational fluid dynamics and indoor environmental quality. Uh, Kishore, let's go ahead and go through that next one and talk a little bit about thermal comfort. And then I've got a bunch of questions to get to, so we'll have to jump through this one pretty quick. Yeah, just to clarify, there was a comment that smoke visualization at its own place and CFD at its own place. I totally agree with that. I totally agree. But I was just trying to compare the uh, the benefits of doing smoke versus uh, pros and cons of these things. So I, I agree with that. Let's go back to uh, thermal comfort here. Uh, these are just tools in the toolbox, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, can you see my screen now? Yes. Okay. Well, let just a brief primer on thermal comfort here. First of all, what is thermal comfort? Most of the time, it's a psychological thing. It's a state of mind, correct? It's like happiness. <laughs> you cannot measure happiness, correct? There's no absolute yardstick for happiness. Thermal comfort is somewhat like that. Uh, it's how people feel, it's their perception, but there is a science behind it also. It's how your body responds to the heat and moisture around you. So what people, scientists have done is they understood what you are doing, what is your metabolic rate, right? how much heat you are generating, what kind of clothing you're wearing, correct? whether they are creating an insulating effect. What is air temperature around you? Most importantly, what is radiant temperature? Whether you're sitting too close to the window or away from the window. Humidity levels. And what is the air speed around you? Remember why we start the ceiling fans or table fans? They are not the air coolers. They are air movers. The, the perception when the air moves around you, you feel cool. That, that's what is the 
air movement. So what scientists have done is they collected all this data and they asked people, hey, how do you feel? Do you feel cold? Do you feel hot? Or are you just comfortable? And then they created these statistical models to correlate that data with perception of their comfort. And that is all captured in ASHRAE standard 55 for thermal comfort of the occupants. All HVAC engineers should read, understand, and study ASHRAE standard 55. I'm actually distinguished lecturer. I gave about 110 lectures worldwide so far. And I ask these questions in all my lectures. How many of you know there is a standard for thermal comfort of the occupants? Only 5% hands go up. Hmm. And I ask those 5% people, how many of you really use it in your design? Not even 1% of that 5%. So, Buildings are for the people. We need to appreciate and understand that. And everything we should do to make people comfortable, healthy, productive, we should use all the tools in our toolbox to make sure we ensure that. So what happens is now in CAB, when you do any CAB simulation, you know the air temperature, you know radiant temperature, you know air speed. And what you can input into CAB is, hey, what this person is doing? Is he just sitting and working at his desk or is he jogging in the gym or what the person is doing? We can input that and say, what kind of clothes this person is wearing? Once you put all that, you can really create, hey, let me see, I can, I can share this now. You can create a, a simulation where I actually know how people will feel in that space. I can estimate that, correct? Uh, percent mean vote is ASHRAE standard 55 index. So it goes from minus three to three. Three is means people will complain it's too hot. Minus three means they will complain it's too cold. In this picture, the red color where the hot window is, when this guy walks to the window, he's going to feel too hot. Okay, and then if he walks towards the door away from that window, he will be about comfortable, not too cold, not too hot. Now, the reason for this, that's where CFD comes into picture. Why it is hot there? Why this person will feel hot there? Because it is close to the hot window. And in this design, they did not address that when there is a perimeter load, when there is a hot window, we need to inject the cold air in front of that window to take care of that. This design somehow is missing that point. When I did the other simulation and I added a passive chilled beam on the top of that window, passive chilled beam is just the cold coil on the top. It makes the air cold and cold air falls down, hot air goes up, and it creates kind of an air circulation, air curtain in front of that hot window. As soon as I put that in my model, you see that um, hot spot has gone. Yeah. Now, yeah. if you build this building, commissioned it, and let this guy go there and sit and work for two months, and then he starts complaining, are you going to put passive chill beam there? It's too late. It will cost you. 
millions of dollars to make such retrofits into the building. I have a concern, Joe. My concern is our industry has enjoyed a passive consumer for over the years, over centuries. What I mean by passive consumer, we don't complain about our comfort, thermal comfort. We don't complain about indoor air quality. As I told you, if you sit in a restaurant and a draft comes on you, how many times you call a server or you call a restaurant owner and you say, hey, you know what? I'm feeling cold here in this part. And all the customers who are coming, they will feel cold in this part. You need to do something. What do we think? Oh, I'm just there for an hour or so. Right. I will ask server, hey, please change my sink. I'm cold here. And once we don't complain, the quality doesn't get into It's simple market law, business principle. If you don't like a cell phone and if you return your cell phone, the cell phone company will change the model of it because you complain. We don't complain about indoor air quality. So we have laws for clean water. Do we have laws for clean air? Why clean air should not be fundamental human right? Right, right. Now, let, let me ask you, you you mentioned that you had all these inputs. Um, yeah. What information is needed to do the CFD simulation and, and how do you get it? I mean, you mentioned radiant temperature. Well, somebody's going to have to measure that somehow, right? Uh. No, it okay. is predicted. It is predicted. you predicted. So okay. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me explain what is required. First of all, you need a, a geometry or information how your room looks like, how the space looks like. It has four walls. It has the ceiling at this height. It has this furniture element. This is how the people will be sitting here, and then we know where the air is coming into the space, where those diffusers are located. What type diffusers are those? How much air you are bringing in? What temperature you are bringing the air in? And then what other sensible heat loads you have, like uh, whether you have what kind of lights you have, uh, whether there are computers, what kind of computers, how many people, because people generate heat. Then you need to know how the air is going to get out of this space, correct? And then what kind of walls you have, where the glazing is, whether it's a double pen or triple pen, how much heat will come outside heat or how much heat we will lose from there. This is all input to the model. Once you put that, it opens up the door for wealth of information, your three-dimension airflow patterns, temperature distribution, thermal comfort, indoor air quality, concentration of the contaminants, you just name it. Now, this, yeah. I understand how this would be used prior to the building being built. Can you give us a, a, an example of how you use it after the building has already been built and we're getting an indoor environmental quality concern or complaint? Honestly, it is too late. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, hey, that's honest. <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter because the engineer who did the job on that building has the drawing. So, in other words, most of the time, 
you don't have to go with your thermometer or or your anemometer to go and hey kishore here is the wall temperature or here is the supply temperature we know your air, air handler knows what temp- how much air you are supplying to the space and what temperature you are supplying to the space and and the beauty is if you say well the occupancy is for 50 people but we never get 50 here we only 15 people get into the space on the model in cfd simulation we can change the occupancy from 15 20 25 30 40 50 and see what happens to the space so yeah. uh, whether the building is on the paper or actual build building cfd process is the same and do you have to model every room or can you you know, when you're doing a building, especially, I guess, in the design phase, because this costs some money, um, do you have to do every room? You don't have to do every room. That's the beauty of this. And this is an excellent question. Let me tell you why. CFD is a tool. Try to understand. It's not the end in itself. I always give this example. If you are hiking in dark woods in the nighttime, you don't have flashlight in your hand. You may fall off the cliff. You right. don't see your way. What flashlight does? It shows you the way. But flashlight is not a GPS system. It's not going to tell you take right turn, left turn, go straight. <laughs> it shows you the way and it it helps you not to fall off the cliff. CFD is so. like that. It's a flashlight in your designer's hand. So uh, you can use this as a tool to find out potential problems. And what can I do? What can I do more to make my people happy, to make my people comfortable, to make my people breathe the right quality air into the space? If I am compassionate about the people, then I will do all the due diligence to make sure my design is going to help the people, going to create healthy building, not just on the paper, not in your slogan, not just in your mission statement, but it's actually implemented and efforts are made towards that. So you don't have to do each and every room. Learn from it. Learn from every simulation. That's why gaining insights in, from your simulation is important. You need to be a good engineer first before you start using CMD. You should be able to separate out what is good and what is bad. What this simulation is telling me, what the physics is telling me, when I build next hospital, when I build next office space, when I build next operating room, what should I do? What simulation told me? So you don't have to do each and every space. At the same time, you should be smart enough to understand what you learned from which space and how this space is different. If this operating room is very different than the one you model, you need to do CFD on that one and learn new lessons from that. Interesting stuff here, Kishore. Let's go to round up, Cliff and uh, John. The Roundup is brought to you by April Air, providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, 
Healthy Air, Healthy Home at AprilAIRE.com. All right, let's, uh, Cliff, do you have any final questions or thoughts for Keyshore? Yeah, I just have just a question, Keyshore. Um, can you share a success story with us? You know, something that, you know, how this helped solve a problem or, or made something better? Great question. Yes. You need to invite me for another radio talk show. There you go. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll do I, have that. Plenty. I have plenty of these, uh, okay. especially uh, when people are in litigation. That, okay. You know, when you go to a doctor, when you have severe pain, right. if I tell you exercise every day, eat good food, yeah, sure, I heard it several times. Right. If right. I tell people you should do CFD, you should do duty, yeah, yeah, I heard Kishore 100 <laughs> times his presentation. But I do a design and my owner sues me and says, hey, you didn't do it right. So people come to me and then they beg, please, show my design is right. I say, who am I? <laughs> who am I to show your design is right? The physics of the situation will tell you whether you did the right thing or not. And if you are so concerned, you should have done CFD before you put the things in place. Correct? Now it is in the litigation. Things are not working. CFD can only help you or help show you a way to get out of litigation. Okay. So I, I did that. Um, I have an article on patient room. Uh, and, and generally, in, when they design patient room, they don't care where they put the written in the patient room. I have showed that if you put the written on patient's uh, face or the or patient's head in the ceiling, that works better. All the germs will go up from there and will not spread into the roof. <laughs> and I showed it myself. Understood, understood. You know, this has been fascinating. It went way too fast as well. I just, you know, before I knew it, it was time for the roundup. But anyway, <laughs> can you give me a ballpark idea on what this costs? You know, people always, what does it add to a project? Yeah, uh, I can give you a ballpark very well. Uh, before that, let me tell you. A design, if the design costs $1, the construction will cost you $10. Operation of the building costs $100. And people who work in that building cost $1,000. The cost of people is 1,000 times the cost of design. And buildings are for the people. When people ask me how much it costs, I ask them, how much your people cost to you? What is the price tag on human life? What is the price tag on my comfort? What is the price tag on my indoor air quality? What is the price tag on my health? To answer your question directly, 10% of your design cost. It means 10 cents will save you $1,000. Interesting. And how reliable are these computations, Kishore? It is a tool. It is a tool. And it is not, if you do a simulation, don't come back to me and say, Kishore, you predicted 78.3 degrees Fahrenheit and my building is showing 83.6 Fahrenheit. I asked them, where I showed you a hotspot in a building is the hotspot there. Guaranteed hotspot is there. 
What we need to look from CFD simulation is the cane, is a tool to help me guide in right direction. No simulation is absolute. No simulation can replace the physical reality. That's not the purpose of simulation. Purpose of simulation is to learn, refine, and design better things. That's why we should use CFD. Wow, that was a great, great, uh, great answer. Now, who are your clients? So I'm just curious who who is who's ahead of the curve enough to be using you to design the help with the design of their buildings? Yeah, on a broad brush, I can say I have two types of clients. One client who is visionary, who understands the value of people, their health, their comfort. And another client who is in deep pain. <laughs> so, again, so these are these range from uh, owners, facility managers, uh, design engineers, design firms, uh, architects. Uh, all these people, uh, they are my clients. They, 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 and once they know that this pill helps me to remain healthy, they take that pill again and again. You know? So uh, I, I want to emphasize that, that you should look at it as a tool. Uh, it's like a thermometer, correct? Uh, yeah. a thermometer doesn't cure you. Thermometer just tells you whether you are cured or not. And I'm just before we go, is there anything you'd like to add? I know we, we went through this real quickly and there's a lot more detail, but um, anything we missed that you want to make sure you get through to our audience before we go? Yeah, I'm passionate about health, comfort, well-being of the people. I'm passionate about how buildings should help to deliver all these things to the people. I want to tell everyone, buildings are for the people. And do everything, everything you can do to improve indoor air quality, thermal comfort, well-being of the people, and do your due diligence. I'm not here to tell people do CFD. I'm here to tell everyone, be compassionate. Bring the compassion in your design. Before you build a school classroom, think if your son or daughter is going to go in that classroom, will you build that classroom the same way you're building it now? And if the answer is yes, then you are doing everything to ensure the children in the school are safe and they have the good learning and work. I've got to add one more thing. When we talked earlier, you said, if you want to ensure good indoor air quality, educate the people. What Give us a little more on what you mean by that. I want to educate the common people. I want to tell them the same thing. If I give you a, a dirty glass of water, will you drink it? No. How do you know what you're breathing in? What you're breathing? The, the education of the engineers education of facility managers, education of building owners, education of common people. All the people, you, me, and everyone else should know, don't take your indoor air quality for granted. Demand it. Ask from the building owners. 
as from the design engineer ensure me show me that you have done everything to give me the better indoor air quality that's what i mean by education i can't think of a better message to end this one on kishore thank you so much uh, always thank a you. pleasure thanks for the opportunity <laughs> All right. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to our guest, Dr. Kishore Konkari. I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners and sponsors will be back next Friday with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.